By Norman J. Clement RPH, DDS, Norman L. Clement Farm Tech, Malachi F. McCandle Farm D, Belinda Brown Parker, in the spirit of Joseph Salvo Esquire, in the spirit of Rev. C.T. Vivian, Jelani Zimbabwe Clement, B.S., M.B.A., Willie Gignard B.S., Joseph Webster M.D., M.B.A., Shelley Hightower, B.S., Farm D., Leroy Baylor, Esther Hyatt Ph.D., Adrian Edmondson, Walter L. Smith B.S., Leroy Baylor, B.S., Ms., Ms., in the spirit of Brom Fisher Esquire, Michelle Alexander, Kudjo Wilding B.S., Martin Jew, B.S., R.P.H., Deborah Lynn Shepard, Barris E. Muchet, Strategic Advisors. Chapter 1. Norm J. Clement DDS underscore. Racism wears many masks, it is Jim Crow one decade only to be disguised as voter ID in another century, preventing election fraud, when no fraud ever exists, when wisdom becomes a threat, the knowledgeable are deemed arrogant and those learned are imprisoned, in healthcare, we must lead the fight for justice by connecting the dots of injustice, uncovering the unique, cleverly designed barriers erected to inhibit people from seeking treatment and preventing those licensed professionally and whom are capable from delivering proper healthcare are required to view them as algorithms seeking care, then waging war upon both their souls and neither affording them dignity and respect. Joe Madison underscore. The question is, what are we going to do about it? This article is supported by required video and audio narratives. This article is supported by required audio and video narratives, a detailed read-slash-study-slash-videos, and points out the war on drugs, and the rape of China are one and the same, geopolitical war of trade deficit, oil, and resources that has been waged for centuries. Stratification economics treats racism as rational. While the United States Department of Justice has been turned into a private system of injustice to target black people particularly in its leadership class and educated professionals. Can we really afford to remain silent? They've introduced, promoted, and controlled through law enforcement, non-medical narcotic analgesic analogs, heroin, analogs of cocaine, crack, and then arrested, convicted, and imprisoned all to suppress progressive thought and actions. One should note this strategy is not new and was used effectively by England against China, which led to the Boxer War for the same purpose, to suppress progressive thought and actions. Thus, understanding the Opium War is also understanding that much of the wealth of the American elite was built upon the forced imposition of opium onto China. The goldmine of drugs, opium, for the American elite in the 19th century funded much of the Industrial Revolution endowed universities such as Harvard, Yale, Princeton, Brandeis, while China and its people were victims, the sick man of Asia. Thus it is acid etched into the minds of every living person within the Chinese state one will never be allowed to forget the 100 years of humiliation. Stratification of the Chinese economy by Britain, the United States, Japan, and other colonial powers was an essential component in controlling the people of China. According to Peter Coy June 4, 2020, writing for Bloomberg Businessweek. Any modern analysis of race relation has to be grounded in the fact that the United States of America was built on the backs of enslaved African and that leading thinkers of the day defended slavery based on economic grounds. Coupled with the China trade and opium that built, fueled, and funded much of the Industrial Revolution in America generating massive wealth. Most, importantly, this helps further to understanding the attitudes of the Chinese government and its people toward the United States and European powers. China through communism educated its people. The Chinese learned how to integrate socialism and capitalism, they used socialism to get their act together, to educate and train their own people. When China succeeded at education, they employed capitalism against the West and beat them at their own game. 
The discussion between communism and capitalism has always been who would control the means of production and distribution, either one can produce or one can. The opium wars then the European destruction of 10,000 years of the Chinese dynasty and the creation of modern-day China. The United States' war on drugs has been exposed as a targeted design race war of unlawful unconstitutional policing, a targeted color caste war, and the only way we can seek its end is by shutting down the United States Drug Enforcement Administration. This outlines how they have turned instead to easier enforcement targets, medical practitioners, physician pharmacist and dentist, and as with any law enforcement, DEA, DOJ-focused and particularly black pharmacists. Why Britain started the Opium War China, a century of humiliation. The Opium Wars and the Boxer Rebellion, Yekin, resulted in a near century of humiliation in which Western powers extracted high concessions from the Chinese people. Opium was ruthlessly and brutally imposed upon the population of China by these Westerners which undermined centuries of intellectual and progressive thought. Therefore, countries like China are very unlikely to give the United States any sort of sympathetic understanding as to the opioid epidemic we are suffering through. Failure to understand the Westerners. Opium money racism and the rape of China. China has matched the West at IT's great game of capitalism. So, when we as a nation complain about fentanyl derivatives from China arriving at our borders via US mail, then we must also think of the Chinese mindset that they are doing to us what we did onto them. Perhaps, one day we can reach a period of truth and reconciliation and attempt to move on, as was done in South Africa. Chapter 2. The Opium War's Secret History. The hidden secrets of the drug war waged on China by European power also involved the Africa slave trade across the Indian Ocean, ivory, jade, tea which created a trade deficit between Britain and China. See the videos. New York Times. By Carl E. Meyer. June 28, 1997. According to New York Times Article 1997. Losers rarely name wars, an exception being the conflict between Britain and China from 1839 to 1842 known bluntly ever since as the Opium War. To most Chinese, a century of humiliation began with this war, in which Westerners sought to force a deadly drug on an Asian people, and then imposed an unequal treaty that pried open their country and annexed the island that became Hong Kong. An embarrassing truth, that is essentially what happened. As Hong Kong reverts to China at month's end, many of us for the first time may see a bit of history from a different end of the telescope. Yet a further point needs making. Even the authors of the Opium War were ashamed of it, and Western protests against it marked the beginning of a concern with international human rights that in a fresh turn embarrasses today's leaders in Beijing. Along with the slave trade, the traffic in opium was the dirty underside of an evolving global trading economy. In America as in Europe, pretty much everything was deemed fair in the pursuit of profits. Such was the outlook at Russell and Company, a Boston concern whose clipper ships made it the leader in the lucrative American trade in Chinese tea and silk. In 1823 a 24-year-old Yankee, Warren Delano, sailed to Canton, where he did so well that within seven years he was a senior partner in Russell and Company. Delano's problem, as with all traders, European and American, was that China had much to sell but declined to buy. The Manchu emperors believed that the Middle Kingdom already possessed everything worth having, and hence needed no barbarian manufacturers. The British struck upon an ingenious way to reduce a huge trade deficit. Their merchants bribed Chinese officials to allow entry of chests of opium from British-ruled India, though its importation had long been banned by imperial decree. Imports soared, and nearly every American company followed suit, acquiring black dirt in Turkey or as agents for Indian producers. Writing home, Delano said he could not pretend to justify the opium trade on moral grounds, but as a merchant I insisted has been, fair, 
honorable and legitimate, and no more objectionable than the importation of wines and spirits to the U.S. Yet as addiction became epidemic, and as the Chinese began paying with precious silver for the drug, their emperor finally in 1839 named an imperial commissioner to end the trade. Commissioner Lin Shu proceeded to Canton, seized vast stocks of opium and dumped the chests in the sea. This, plus a melee in which drunken sailors killed a Chinese villager, furnished the spark for the Opium War, initiated by Lord Palmerston, the British Prime Minister, and waged with determination to obtain full compensation for the opium. The Celestial Empire was humbled, forced to open five ports to foreign traders and to permit a British colony at Hong Kong. But as noteworthy, the war was denounced in Parliament as unjust and iniquitous by 30-year-old William Ewart Gladstone, who accused Palmerston of hoisting the British flag to protect an infamous contraband traffic. The same outrage was expressed in the pulpit and the press, in America and England, thereby encouraging Russell and Company and most other American businesses to pull out of the opium trade. Warren Delano returned to America rich, and in 1851 settled in Newburgh, New York. There he eventually gave his daughter Sarah in marriage to a well-born neighbor, James Roosevelt, the father of Franklin Roosevelt. The old China trader was close-mouthed about opium, as were his partners in Russell and Company. It is not clear how much FDR knew about this source of his grandfather's wealth. But the president's recent biographer Jeffrey Ward rejects efforts by the Delano family to minimize Warren's involvement. The family's discomfort is understandable. We no longer believe that anything goes in the global marketplace, regardless of social consequences. It is precisely this conviction that underlies efforts to attach human rights conditions to trading relations, to temper the amorality of the market, a point that, alas, seems to elude the socialists soon to be masters of Hong Kong. Warren Delano, putting Warren Delano's history where the goats can get it. Simply putting Warren Delano in today's language, he was both slave trader and international drug dealer on an even higher scale than El Chapo Guzman or Pablo Escobar. Mr. Delano worked for a major drug cartel supported by governments. Mr. Delano Way and other families hid their ill-gotten gains through endowments and support to nearly all Ivy League universities. Through generations, many have benefited from the education and research received at these universities especially their law schools. According to TESMAX, each of the eight Ivy League schools, Brown, Columbia, Cornell, University of Pennsylvania, Princeton, Harvard, Dartmouth, and Yale, has a reputation for excellence and for producing some of the best minds of the world. It is no surprise, then, that these five Ivy League law schools are preceded by their reputations for developing some of the most brilliant and influential legal professionals. All five schools always rank in the T14 list of law schools, and they each have rigorous academic curricula, tough standards for admission, and unique histories. The Opium War, History of China However, the racial component of this war on drugs began centuries ago as trade war trade deficit to use to undermine as destroy the Chinese civilization which had lasted some 10,000 years. A race war between China and Europeans in which drugs were cleverly first introduced by Great Britain to the Chinese society as medications to aid in sleep. When saw was undermined see the video below. The Opium Wars How Opium Was Imposed on China The Second Opium War The Second Opium War the Yeakin. The Yeakin, Boxer Rebellion. Chapter 3. Stratification Economics and the China Trade Opium Trade. The Emergence of the American Community in Shanghai. According to Sibing He, Hong Kong and America's China Trade in the 19th Century, paper presented at the International Conference on Hong Kong in the Global Setting, organized by the Department of History, the University of Hong Kong, 10 January 12, 2011. The first British Consul at Shanghai, Captain George Balfour, 
arrived in the port city in November 1843 and formally declared the post open to foreign trade. British and American trading firms soon rushed to Shanghai, the gateway to the Yangtze Valley, in order to gain access to the richest market in central China. This regional entrepot was immediately transformed into the center of international trade. Henry G. Walcott, the representative of Russell and Company, went to Shanghai soon after the city was made a treaty port in 1843. In the same year, Russell and Company also sent G. F. Davidson to the newly established British Crown Colony of Hong Kong to serve as its agent. By 1844, only a year after opening as a treaty port, Shanghai housed 11 British and American mercantile firms with a total of 23 traders, including the prominent British firms, Jardine, Matheson, and Company, and Denton Company. The China trade in the 19th century was the foundation of the wealth of several New England families, who in turn helped to finance in the industrialization in the USA, particularly the development of railroads to the American West. At the center of this elite network of families were three brothers, Thomas Tunno, Robert Bennett, and John Murray Forbes. Their mother was the youngest sister of Thomas Handeset Perkins, a leading public figure in Boston and the founder, with his brother, of the firm J&TH Perkins of Boston and Canton. In 1830 the firm was merged with Russell and Company, a commission agency founded by Samuel Russell and Canton in 1824 to trade opium, woolen and cotton cloth, and other commodities in exchange for silk, porcelain, and tea. The Forbes brothers led Russell and Company, in its Haiti the most powerful American merchant house on the China coast, from 1830 to its dissolution in 1891. The 100 years of humiliation have further taught China, that no power will ever get close enough to ride its warships, armed with HVP-guided projectiles, up the Yangtze and Pearl Rivers without facing a significant deterrent. Understanding stratification economics and how IT plays an integral part in maintaining racial order in all population. By Peter Coy. The required audio narrative to be listened to by all readers of this article presentation is from Bloomberg Business Week, by Peter Coy, June 4, 2020, 5 a.m. EDT, Racial Repression is Built into the U.S. Economy, 150 Years After the Civil War, The Color of Money is Still White States. The economics profession has had a hard time getting a fix on racial discrimination. Quite apart from its cruelty, it seems, illogical, the question is urgent because racial discrimination is the fuel of the anger and discontent that have spilled onto the streets. The trigger was the asphyxiation death of George Floyd in Minneapolis under the knee of police officer Derek Chauvin, who's been fired and charged with second-degree murder, can economists help us find a way out of the chaos? https colon slash slash apple dot news slash of j tugig 4 vqfq Stratification Economics and the Black-Owned Pharmacy Stratification economics represents an important new approach devoted to explaining economic inequality in terms of how social groups are separated or stratified according to relative group status. Stratification economic treats racism as rational. The focus of stratification economics, an emergent subfield in economics, now included under gel classification Z13, is group-based inequality and the social-economic hierarchies associated with individuals' identification with social groups, allegiance to which is manifested in asymmetries between their pro-own group and anti-other group behaviors. Professor Derek Hamilton How Economic Stratification That is, in stratification economic stigmatization and prejudice need to be understood in terms of intergroup dynamics and hierarchical differences in power between social groups not in an individualistic way as in the neoclassical taste for discrimination approach and its relationship to black-owned pharmacies. For now, you are within. You are within the norms.com, Wynton Marsalis Concerto for Trumpet and Two Oboes, 1984. The Norms. End Notes. 1. 
racial repression is built into the U.S. economy, Bloomberg Businessweek. HTTPS colon slash slash podcast.apple.com slash CA slash podcast slash racial repression is built into the U.S. economy slash at 393107187 question mark I equals 100047719912.